You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, he spread out the earth and all that comes out of it who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand and will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare before they spring into being. I announce them to you. I'm not sure where all of you are in your Christmas shopping progress, uh, but if you're looking for a gift for a teenager or a young adult, there is a surprising item that is trending right now. Uh, Simply dad sneakers. Uh, And you may wonder, what are dad sneakers? Well, think for a moment of the kind of sneakers you might see your father wearing or your grandfather wearing. Uh, Sneakers that generally maybe are more white or beige, kind of clunky looking. Those are a hot selling item now. In fact, they're so hot that you can find them online being offered for three or four times the price of the normal retail price. And it kind of makes you wonder, how could something that apparently has such value and appeal be overlooked for so long by for so many. Well, I think we could say the same thing about Christmas. How is it possible that a day that is on everyone's calendar, on most people's calendar, uh, it's all around us, there are reminders, uh, and yet we really miss uh, the significance and value of, of the one to which we're supposed to be celebrating and thinking on. Uh, And so, as I mentioned, our Advent series is looking on the glory of Christ. As as Paul would say, in the glory of Christ, we have the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, So open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 42. And this is the first of what's called four servant songs that are in the book of Isaiah. Uh, They're prophetic songs that announce the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Uh, And so they're scattered about, they're in chapter 49, or chapter 42, 49, 50, and part of 52 into chapter 53. Each of those different songs provide a glimpse into the person and work of the promised Messiah. And and so if you kind of looked at them individually, there's overlap, but we might sometimes miss the panoramic picture of just taking all four into perspective. So I'd like us to look at Psalm, excuse me, Isaiah 42, 
And in particular, look at this first servant song. Uh, to glean from it, what do we know about the identity, the character, and the mission of the servant of the Lord? So what do we know about the identity, the character, and the mission of the servant of the Lord as revealed as we'll come to see in Jesus Christ? Well, notice how it begins with the simple words, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. Words that we often hear, read especially this time of year, especially at Advent, uh, but significant throughout the year because they do challenge us to say, what is the identity of this servant of the Lord? Uh, and so in looking at that question, we begin simply with, well, what is, what is a servant? What does the word servant mean? Well, it probably is no surprise. One definition means a servant or slave of another. But there's also a deeper meaning in the word servant. It can refer to a worshiper or one who fully obeys. And so we have some kind of descriptive term here that refers to one who will fully honor God, uh, will fully obey him. Well, then that presents three possible options for what the servant of the Lord refers to. In informed criticism today, which is sort of an approach to looking at the scriptures and kind of saying, we don't know what the author was saying, so we need to figure out what they're saying. In that more erroneous approach, one would postulate that, well, maybe this is talking about Cyrus. So if you know Israel's history, when Isaiah is writing, they're kind of at the end of the Babylonian captivity. So they're still in captivity. They're in Babylon. Uh, that's going to end soon, and God will deliver them out of Babylon, and that will be through the Persian king Cyrus. And in fact, there is a reference elsewhere in Isaiah where Cyrus will be called a servant of the Lord. In other words, just because God is sovereign and he uses even pagan rulers to accomplish his work. But as you listen to the words in this particular song, I think it's obvious that it can't be referring to Cyrus. Uh, the language is, speaks of a unique relationship, as we'll see. Uh, it, it certainly describes events that Cyrus would, would not accomplish or be able to achieve in his reign. Uh, so then the second option would be, well, maybe the servants are the people of Israel. But again, keep in mind the extent of obedience we see reflected here. And compare that to the present situation. Isaiah is writing to a people who are in Babylonian captivity because of their sinfulness, uh, because of their own idolatry, uh, which God is refining and burning out of them. So I think that eliminates, in this sense, the second option. So we've looked at Cyrus, we've looked at the people of Israel, well, then we come to, I think, what would be more clear and obvious. It's talking about the promised Messiah. It is speaking of Jesus Christ here. Uh, and so notice again those words that we just looked at uh, as it reflects, he is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. Uh, goes on in verse 1, I will put my spirit on him. So personal pronouns accentuating that there's a unique relationship here but between the Lord God who's speaking and who this servant 
of the Lord is that is promised and will manifest himself on earth. Uh, again, looking at verse one, uh, you know, when you use the word my chosen one, we in Christ can refer to that we're elected, uh, we're, we're chosen by God. But it's an interesting term because it doesn't just mean uh, elected or picked. It always implies a, a process of great thought and intention. And in addition, that the one chosen will continue in the character of the one who has chosen them. We sort of now again think if worship we emphasize obedience, it is the Messiah who will come and will be perfect obediently to the Father. He, he will do what Adam did not. Uh, he will obey and fulfill the entire law. Uh, he will meet the obligation of the law and the covenant. He himself, as we'll see, will become a covenant. So looking at just the terms used would tell us the identification of this servant of the Lord is the promised Messiah. Notice as well in verse 1, not just he's my chosen one, but my chosen one in whom I delight, who I take pleasure in. Now, we always want to make sure we're not reading something into Scripture that shouldn't be there. So we don't want to say, well, it's talking about the promised Messiah because we decided that's who it's speaking about. So now we're going to go and practice just the analogy of Scripture. We're going to turn to three places in the Gospel of Matthew to say, well, how is this passage understood or interpreted in other places in the Bible? So look with me at Matthew chapter 3, and we're jumping ahead now to the beginning of Christ's public ministry, uh, but Matthew chapter 3, and right away be thinking these words and where they came from and why they sound so familiar. So in Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17, we come upon Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist. And notice the event that's recorded for us, beginning at verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, we know there were those around us that heard this, whether or not this message was unique and grasped by just others that were present that would be disciples. But immediately, these words would call you back to the servant songs. Like This is a very important section in Isaiah by one of the major prophets of the people of Israel. But that's one example. Look a little further in Matthew, Matthew chapter 17. And verse 5, here we have the transfiguration of Christ. Peter, James, and John are present with Christ as they get a, a glimpse into his, his glory, this side of heaven. And so in Matthew 17, verse 5, it says, While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Again, taking you back to 
Well, how do we know this servant song was about Jesus Christ? Well, here we have Matthew, under the inspiration of the Spirit, interpreting these words for us. But an even more direct example would be in Matthew chapter 12, and where you have the direct application made to the ministry of Jesus Christ. So in Matthew chapter 12, look with me at verses 15 through 17. Matthew 12, 15 through 17. Jesus, it says, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. He will claim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. And it may strike you sometimes is, well, why didn't Jesus say uh, sometimes the exact reference where this is? And there are other times a reference is quoted and it's not even said sometimes where it comes from. Well, it tells you something about the mindset of his audience. These words should have been so familiar that they wouldn't need a sighting. They, they heard this. They know this is talking about the promised Messiah. And so you see those dots connected for us through the analogy of Scripture. We can say with confidence, this is who Isaiah was referring to when he spoke of the servant of the Lord. Well, let's go back to our text this morning, Isaiah 42. <clears throat> and look at just the very first word in that verse, which often kind of is passed by us uh, here. Here is my servant. Uh, better translated would be the word behold. And that, that's not just an, like an archaic sort of formality term. Um, in the original, you know, to behold is, is a marker telling you what's to follow is very important. So, so listen carefully to the details that follow. So this isn't merely saying, well, you know, here, here is the suffering servant, the servant of the Lord, but behold him. In other words, take in and see the glory of God in this one who has come. And so that's our purpose in Advent this year, to focus on not, not some kind of human Christmas spirit or the spirit of giving, uh, but, but the, the glory of Christ uh, depicted for us in the servant of the Lord. Well, that gives us the identity. So we're clear on who this is talking to. And that will come out now as we look at the character of the servant of the Lord. And so notice in that first verse, it says, I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice <clears throat> to the nations. That is true in the Old Testament. We have that reference to God sending his spirit upon certain kings, certain prophets. Uh, but there's a unique emphasis here in terms of, I will anoint him. Uh, I will give him the full display of my spirit because he will have the same nature and ontology or being as the father and the spirit. So notice in the thinking of the character here, he is the anointed one. 
And as you probably are very familiar, in the Old Testament, we do have kings that are anointed. We have prophets that are anointed. We have priests that are anointed, but never all three in one. And the Messiah will be the anointed prophet, priest, and coming king. So there is a uniqueness about the character. Listen as I read these words from Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 4, you may recall as Jesus is about early in his preaching ministry, uh, he returns to his hometown. He returns to Nazareth. And, and there, like probably typical procedure, uh, if a guest or especially a hometown person visits the synagogue, you might ask them to, to read, participate in a certain way in the service. And, and so Jesus is asked to read. And so in Luke chapter 4, we find these words beginning at verse 17. The scroll of Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. So just a little caveat here. The text does not explain. Was this possibly the assigned reading of that day in the synagogue? And by God's providence, Jesus is there to read the assigned reading, which comes from the book of Isaiah. Or, or was Jesus selecting this text specifically to speak about its fulfillment? But listen to what follows. He found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, these words come from Isaiah 61, but they also have elements that come from the servant songs. So Jesus is done. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus speaks here of his own character as his servant of the Lord by saying, what I just read from Isaiah was about me. And the spirit of the Lord is on me. I am here right before you. Now, you may be thinking here, well, did they grasp that? Like, like did the audience connect that he is saying what God said in the servant songs and in Isaiah 61 was about me? Well, drop down in Luke 4 to the very end of this section, verse 28 and following. After Jesus is done saying all this, he says a few other words, and he says, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, took him out to the brow of the hill in which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked through the cloud, crowd and went on his way. They got what he was saying. He, he was claiming he is God among them. He is the Messiah. And so as he revealed their own unfaithfulness and their sinfulness that prevented them from seeing the glory of Christ in him. They were infuriated. They were furious. And by God's providence and God's timing, Jesus just walked away from that. So as we go back to Isaiah chapter 42, consider what we're saying here about that this servant of the Lord is, is anointed. Jesus claimed that prophecy was about him. 
But notice in verse 41, it continues in our text. And it says, he will bring justice to the nations. And then in verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. So one of the key responsibilities of ancient rulers was justice. To, to administer what is right, to punish what is wrong. But now we have this Messiah spoken of, one who will bring justice, not on a, on a limited basis, but, but he will bring justice to the nations. Not, not just to Israel and not to just a certain people. There, there's an emphasis here on a worldwide reign of justice. And that's a word we hear tossed around a lot today in our world, social justice, uh, things like that. But, but notice, as we just read in verse 6, this is a justice that is in keeping with the righteousness of the Lord. And so that word righteousness emphasizes conformity to a standard. And, and God is the standard of all truth and what is right and what is wrong. So this servant of the Lord who will come will, will set up, inaugurate the kingdom of God which we already have in an invisible sense as he reigns in our hearts and lives in Christ. But projecting out into the future, that reign in righteousness will eventually fill all heaven and earth at Christ's return. And notice again, it will be on all nations, all peoples, not, not a limited like Hezekiah or any of the other kings that Isaiah ministered under. Drop down to verses 2 through 4. And, and this servant of the Lord is unlike any other servant. Notice it says, He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth in his law, the islands will put their hope. What a, what a contrasting picture of one who will have a kingdom, but in a manner and function that is unlike anything we would compare it to. E even Pilate was somewhat shocked that, you know, Jesus said he was a king, but where, where's his army? Where, where's, you know, his military? Uh, those are things you attribute and associate with a kingdom. And so as you listen to these words, notice he, he will not shout or cry out in the streets. Now, this doesn't mean Jesus didn't display anger. We have that clearly early on in the temple and again at the close of his ministry. Uh, but he's not going to be one who kind of like sounds his thunder, seems to exert his presence or force in an unwelcome way. And even the early opposition to Christ's ministry picked up on this when they simply said, he, he teaches as one with authority. That it's not like he's trying to push himself or get us to convince what he knows what he's talking about. He, he speaks with the authority of God. And then a very touching illustration, you know, a, a bruised reed. Just think of a, a very delicate kind of marshy, you know, stalk that, that he will not crush that, even if it's broken. And, and a smoldering wick you know, a, a candlestick like that that's just smoldering, he's, he's not going to extinguish it. 
In other words, he is a king who will come how? In, in compassion and mercy, and yet in righteousness as well. Uh, he will come and establish a reign in faithfulness, in, in truthfulness. And then as it continues in verse 4, in his law, in his Torah or instruction, the islands will put their hope. We're reminded as we look around us at things, very difficult to find anything you can put your certain expectation or hope in. Even if you're promised an appliance will be delivered on a certain day. You can't count on that. And so you have this fact that this one who will come will be distinctly different from any previous prophet, priest, or king to follow him or to precede him. That's one of the things, if you read through the Gospel of Luke, you're impressed with. Luke's Gospel emphasizes this compassionate, merciful side of Christ. Doesn't sacrifice his holiness or his same nature as the Father, but that he came to seek and to save the lost, to the broken reed, uh, the this, this smoldering wick. Um, that's who he's come, to redeem and to save. Uh, and so we see... Isaiah's words being fulfilled in the very ministry of Jesus Christ. But the first of the servant's songs concludes in verses 5 through 9 with now a conversation between God the Father and this servant of the Lord. So the first kind of half gives you that character identity. Then the second half gives us really a, a conversation here that reveals the divine mission of the servant of the Lord. And so notice as you, you read this in verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. So the mission of this servant of the Lord will be in complete unity with the will of the Father. Uh, in other words, we, we have one will here. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit share one united will to glorify and honor each other. And so you see that reference here, and it, it matches again. What was Jesus' prayer that we read in John 17? Uh, that we would see the glory of Christ, uh, that he has with the Father, uh, that we would be one just as he and the Father are one. In, in purpose and plans. And then notice that language in verse 6. He will be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. He, he will come to bring healing, to bring forgiveness, to bring restoration to all. Notice not just to Israel, not just to the Jews, but now already in the Old Testament, you have the the shadow being there presented that this servant of the Lord is coming to deliver Jew and Gentile who come to him in faith. And this foreshadows for us the spreading of the gospel. Uh, turn with me to one final passage, Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, you come upon an interesting scene with an Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, this Ethiopian eunuch, we're told, is coming from the, the synagogue in Jerusalem. 
He's just spent time worshiping there. On his trip as he's returning, he's he's reading through Isaiah. Uh, And so listen to what happens in verse 34 and 35 of Acts chapter 8. There we read the following. Uh, It says, and this is with Peter, obviously, is interacting with him. And it says, the eunuch asked Philip, excuse me, Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with the very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus Christ. And if you look just before that in verse 32 and 33, the passage he had been reading is from the fourth servant song from Isaiah chapter 52 into 53. So what a glimpse to us of here, Isaiah is presenting to us uh, the glory of Christ, the, the servant of the Lord. And that particular servant song that we just were looking at concludes with these words, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. So notice if this servant of the Lord is to come, and in every way he's described as being worthy of worship, and God says, I will not share my glory with anyone who is less than me, there you have confirmation of the deity of Jesus Christ. So he is to be worshiped. The spirit is to be worshiped. The father is to be worshiped. And that does not contradict God saying, I won't give my glory to another. And then it closes out in verse nine, see the former things have taken place. The new things I declare before they spring into being, I announce them to you. So you have Isaiah reference, you've seen other prophecies come to be. You've seen those fulfilled. That's the certainty now that you know of this Messiah to come, that this prophecy, this promise will also be fulfilled. And so as we kind of consider now, everything about Advent is founded on the identity, the character, and the mission of the servant of the Lord. If any of those are not what we just said, then you have no reason to celebrate. You have no reason for hope. You have no reason to find comfort in Jesus Christ. So let's not miss what should be most obvious. And that is in the servant of the Lord, we see the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Pray that as we prepare our hearts by your spirit, that we would rejoice in knowing that the one who Isaiah spoke of has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in our Savior's name. Amen.